Welcome, everyone, back to Pen Pen Pals for episode 23. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Alex. I'm Ben. And Alex, you got uh, pink hair. That's new, right? Yeah, just um, just dyed it last week. It was, uh, or no, two weeks ago. But I have not been washing it. So the color has stayed wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we took last week off. And then this week we have uh, Damien here. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Damien. Hi. I met you, I don't know, a few months ago. Uh, and we got to talking about anime and you expressed interest in uh, Ava. It sounded like it was kind of a formative anime to you. Did you have an early experience with it? Interestingly enough, like it, it wasn't like an anime that I saw early on in like my anime enjoyment. I was going to be like my anime career. What does that even mean? <laughs> my, my enjoyment of anime. It definitely wasn't like early on. I first saw it when I was in college. I think I was 19. But um, it was definitely formative in that like I was going through a lot of things at the time. I was having kind of like a spiritual crisis of my own. Oh. Um, And so like in intrudes this anime chock full of all of these psychological and spiritual like references and... I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so it, it definitely made just a huge impression on me. Did it uh, make your spiritual crisis better or did it just like stoke the the fire? And <laughs> uh, Definitely the latter. I don't think that it could make it better. It definitely gave me a lot to think about meaning and kind of personal value and, mm-hmm. you know, what is your worth in the world and how you fit into everything. Yeah. Yeah, major themes that come up in this. Yeah, yeah, and come up in this episode pretty explicitly too. Do we have a uh, Pen Pen Pals Peapod update? Yeah, the biggest one is uh, 16 inches, which is great. And soon enough, that one might even start sprouting some peas on it. But uh, the rest of them, there's like one half that... I've gone over before it's not getting enough sun and uh, I can't cut down the trees in my neighbor's yard to get at the sun it needs, but uh, yeah, it's it's doing well. Had a lot of rain here, so I'm hoping for some sunshine this week to kind of burn that off and get them some photosynthesis. How about, uh, I know you've had kind of an interesting or uh, eventful week, but have you been able to listen to any podcasts? Any updates on the Pen Pen Pals podcast update? Yeah, I did discover a cool podcast that then I've been listening to as I'm walking around. It's called Constellation Prize. It's like this documentarian, the first episode, it's like kind of like probing her own loneliness. And um, she hears this quote actually from the Pope about like, if you feel lonely, find someone lonelier than you. Mm. And even though she's kind of an atheist, she goes to this church and meets this lonely crossing guard lady who kind of agrees to uh, be her documentary subject for like six months. And they uh, develop this close relationship and it's really good. Very cool. I want to walk up to someone and be like, do you want to be my friend? Also, I'm (laughs) going to document this process. (laughs) Oh, and I forgot to ask, and maybe I'll edit this back in. Damien, I know you've worked in coffee for years. I wondered if you wanted to expand on that a little. Like, do you, do you uh, what shop did you start at or what got you interested oh, in God. coffee in the first place? So just really quick for some context, Alex was also a barista for a, for a long time. Did you work at Starbucks? Yeah. 
I'm wearing a Starbucks shirt right now. Bold. <laughs> they like took that word and just ran with it and made it into like a, a nothingness. Oh yeah. It's like a great challenge in the coffee industry to try to get people to explain what they mean when they say the word <laughs> bold, but you don't want to be an asshole. Like, you know, back when I started in coffee, which at this point is like coming up on almost 10 years ago. 10 years, man. 10 years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was a lot of proliferation of coffee bros, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not shy about this. I'm just going to put it right out there. You know, this is before I transitioned. Oh, okay. Um, and so I was very much, it sometimes was difficult to speak to cis men who thought that they knew everything about coffee. <laughs> and one of the things that they would do is they would talk to customers in a particular way that tended to be kind of like patronizing. And so oh. now our, our job in a lot of ways is to talk to people in a way that susses out like, what do they really want? Like when somebody comes up to me and says, I want a bold coffee, it's like, I need to figure out in as, as, as few words as possible, like, what is it that they're actually looking for? Because the word bold doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I <sighs> so just like uh, uh, a lot of professionals, you act as not only brewer and purveyor of coffee, but also as translator. Yes, I am a translator uh, in a lot of ways. My main role in coffee is an educator. Oh. So my job is really to take a lot of really complex information and break that down into really digestible pieces that like a layperson can understand. You know, I believe in being able to do that in a way that is you I wanna I believe that you can do it in a way that still conveys the complexity of the thing. Yeah, I was gonna say that uh there's this coffee shop I would go to in Atlanta that they would have like written up on a chalkboard, you know, like the flavor profile of the different coffees. So I try to like drink the coffee and like stare at the words and like try to make some sort of connection. But I feel like I could never like pick out, you know, like the flavor notes that they were that they were talking about. It's hard to make those connections. You kind of have to disconnect the part of your brain that is like, well, coffee just tastes like coffee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It takes time. Yeah. In a similar way, uh, wine has a similar uh, yeah. community around. Very similar. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I love the way that you put that of taking complicated information and disseminating it down. And I'm hoping maybe that'll translate to talking about Ava. We'll see. <laughs> Last time on So You Think You Can Pilot, we took an intimate and revealing tour through Osaka's psyche. Glasses Tech revealed Seal's extra nervous operation to mass produce more Avas. Ray and Asuka took the longest elevator ride before launching to confront the most traditionally depicted angel yet. The angel invaded Asuka's mind with some sort of mind beam. In a desperate attempt to save her frenemy, Ray retrieved the Lance of Longinus and hurled it into the heavens, impaling the impertinent invader. Shinji failed to solve the hedgehog's dilemma again, and Asuka remained emotionally and physically alone. Will Gendo learn to better value pilots under his purview? Will the angels learn to respect boundaries? Will there be any more happy moments before the series concludes? Let's find out. All right, now episode 23, Tears. Despite her struggles, Asuka is ordered to assist Rey in a battle against Armisail. Against Armisail. When she fails, Rey makes a desperate move in order to save Shinji.
there are so many versions of this online. Uh, there's like the Japanese Coast Guard band doing a version. There is there are metal covers. Everything. Don't ever skip the intro. Never. I I used to skip intros a lot when I binge watch, but Ben uh, got me away from that habit. <laughs> Just because I was too into the BoJack theme song. <laughs> Oh man, I gotta catch up on that. It's a real heavy episode. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. It's getting get heavier from here, right? <laughs> you do anything for Halloween? Uh, new toy. But what does that entail? Serving hot meals, giving people clothing, and tents and blankets. And- I bring my coffee carafe. Nice. Uh, Damien was just saying you guys met doing mutual aid stuff. Yeah, we've both been working with the, um, I guess you could say, Anarchist Collective. It sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, that's how we met. I was like, hey, I need help transporting all this coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, coffee? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was the draw. Funny enough, mm-hmm. like you're always drinking coffee, but whenever I'm mm-hmm. at home, um, I'm actually dr- drinking tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually don't really enjoy the feeling of being caffeinated, mm-hmm. which like I think that um, this is something we talked about at one point, but also that like the, the kind of caffeine feeling you get from tea is different from what you get when you drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other sort of compounds in tea that have a little bit of a different effect. Um, they cause you to get what is commonly referred to as tea drunk. What? Yeah, it's just like this feeling of like euphoria. Like if you just drink a lot of caffeine, specifically from tea, especially full leaf tea, okay. you there's like other things in it like tain in addition to mm-hmm. caffeine and other um, compounds that cause you to get this feeling of almost like giddiness like drunkiness and hmm. even for me afterwards i'll just like be like Whoa! <laughs> and uh this is like if i do like a big elaborate tea tasting with friends um which of course you know we don't do anymore because it's, it's the end times oh covid <laughs> yeah so how about that episode yeah. oh yep uh, it's real heavy Still feeling it. Highly caffeinated, but super emotionally down because of uh, Asuka and Ray. So we start out with Misato sitting in the dark, listening to Kazu's message over and over. Gosh, I'm just right there with her. Like all of those people that either aren't around anymore or you don't have immediate access to, or and maybe it's just, you know, the COVID loneliness. But yeah, like I'm worried there. Uh, and... Shinji and Ben Ben are right there with us. They're like sitting at or standing outside of her room, which has a, what did the sign say? Like, if you enter, you will be shot. Did you see that? <laughs> or like, I miss or maybe that. like, I yeah. will kill you. I think it says. I thought that uh, was Asuka's like, room. A threat from it. Really? You think so? I thought so. Okay. And then I guess we jump to Asuka's depression and her kind of feelings of uh, not having any worth now that, you know, she's kind of not uh, being an effective pilot anymore because that was kind of her whole reason for living and it's this depressive spiral basically. Yeah, and in a row she lost Kaji, right? Her one like hmm. emotional or or personified focus in life and then she lost. Well, first she got took a hit to her uh, piloting abilities and then 
completely lost them, right? And in this episode, we get to see the pers- like or the the manifestation of a total loss of confidence, a total like one hundred percent performance anxiety. And then there's this weird scene of like Risco's like grandma calling her and like saying that her cat died. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know, just really piling on all the the different types of sadness, I guess, and loneliness. That part's really interesting. So I don't know when is a good time to talk about this, but I have been watching the series in anticipation of this episode uh, in the original dub, largely because I cannot stand the Netflix dub. I'm one of those people, which I feel like it makes me kind of annoying, but I just... I can't. Um, so I, and I did watch this on the Netflix version so that we were kind of watching the same one, but also to see the differences. And in this version, Ritsko says, I guess the cat is dead. Mm-hmm. But in the original, the line there is, so that child has died. Oh. And it's very interesting to me that like she should say that. And it's kind of weird. Maybe it was a funny translation thing i mean that that original dub is rife with translation issues despite me preferring its just emotional quality but it's like what yeah that makes it sound like they're talking in code i I don't know if this is related but uh kaji remember met with a cat lady yes or a spy who was who was like looking after cats would it be possible that either that is ritsuko's grandmother or that it's not Ritsuko's grandmother that calls her, that it's that spy that calls her to confirm that maybe Kaji is dead. Yeah, I think that that's kind of a long running like fan conspiracy. Mm. And Kaji is a who knows how many agent, like double, triple, quadruple, you know, like whatever. But, you know, they did take it out. So I wonder if maybe that was a thing that they, that was not necessarily intended and, and becomes like a red herring that sends people in that direction when it's like thematically the, it's not really trying to make us go there. It's, I think- To leave a few mysteries while we resolve the series. Well, Sorry, sure, but... sure. And I think Kaji ultimately serves the cats, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did just go back because I was curious. I have weak Japanese, but I think it does say that child, like it's, it's just, yeah, child mm. is, is dead, I guess, or something like that. And Ritsuko has been criticized by Misato for having, using a cat as an exactly. excuse for human companionship. So maybe that's like a trend that has been passed down from mother to daughter for a couple generations. Maybe. So we get another <laughs> secret seal council meeting and they're questioning Gendo and it lasts I don't know, five seconds, because they ask him a couple of questions, which he's not interested in. And then he gets a phone call from Kozo saying that, or I don't know if it's from Kozo, but he gets a phone call saying that the next angel is coming. And he just ends the meeting right there. It's like, I gotta go. They have a couple more jabbing remarks. And I just wrote that I hate Gendo, but I hate the SEAL Council. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then we got the, the angel attack. Yeah! Okay, so this is our next angel attack, ours for the episode. Uh, as Ben noted earlier, uh, this angel is named Armasail. Uh, it means the mountain of judgment of God and the oh. angel of the womb. Oh, shit! Right, right, right. <laughs> So it seems that the AT field and the physicality of this angel are like the same thing. Like it seems to be an almost holy energy being even more than the last one, which seemed to have some sort of physical core, but the the majority of its body was these energy light wings. 
Um, and so, yeah, it seems like those are like, it's just a, an AT field constraining uh, uh, some sort of energy, some sort of light wave. It starts looking like uh, a double helix in the air, similar to uh, DNA. And then it quickly changes as it senses uh, Ray and it uh, morphs into kind of a string, kind of like a needle and thread. I mean, it doesn't show a needle, but it, you know, it goes, it, it travels like string and then pierces Ray's AT field. It doesn't react to, I mean, it's already engaged with Ray, but it doesn't react to Unit 02 with Asuka inside. Her Ava's not activating, right? Which means the AT field isn't active. So it could be that this angel is blind and it only senses through another AT field mm. uh, because it does react to, as soon as Shinji is up and his AT field, they even have a shot where it shows his, there's like uh, some visual distortion, shows his AT field activating. And that's when it mm. kind of, not disengages, but like its other end goes towards Shinji. It's the third angel to mentally contact a pilot. First we had Laleel, the shadow angel, contacting Shinji. Mm -hmm. And then we had uh, Ariel, the sky one, contacting uh, Asuka. And we had that nice contrast between like the sky visitation and the, the underworld visitation. And so this seems to be a culmination of that strain, but it's also the third angel to be physically invasive of an Ava. Uh, Cause we have the bacterial one that gets into the nerve HQ and it takes over a- Oh yeah, the simulation bodies. Yeah. And then we have Bardiel, which successfully infiltrates and takes over unit O3. And so it's it's the culmination of two lines of angels. Like, really hits home that each angel is testing humanity and refining their tactics as they go. And then it has, and we'll talk about this in a second, as it invades unit 00, before like the final conflagration where Ray takes action, it sprouts this tower, which I've seen online referred to as an angel tower. Mm -hmm. And it has segments. Each segment is a part of a previous angel. So I've seen theories that it was going to, it was trying to rebirth the previous angels, utilizing OO as like a, a womb, a catalyst. But I found it really interesting because if you guys have ever played uh, any of the Final Fantasy series, Final Fantasy VI, has a really iconic final uh, boss run where it's like four, I think, stages of a boss in a row. And the first three are this god tower. Yes. Where it's like this amalgamation of all of these godlike creature or beings, uh, some of them reminiscent of popular Japanese folklore. And it culminates with the top of it being God Kafka. <laughs> the personification of the divine in that form. Mm -hmm. So I just found that to be interesting imagery. And I'm not saying that it was influenced by that. There may be a core concept that they both took from, but Final Fantasy VI, I think, did come out in 94. So it's possible that some of the creators did play it and got some inspiration from that. I feel like that's not even there that long. It's just kind of like a couple of seconds. Yeah, it's like a second uh, or two. That stuff. Yeah, and I guess so as this angel kind of infiltrates Ava O and Ray, we get this really cool animation of like veins popping up or almost like tree roots growing. And it does feel very kind of like Akira. I think it's kind of this stuff that 
you know, really pops with this hand-drawn animation that we don't see that kind of complex animation that often anymore. Oh, yeah. It's like both very gross, but also very cool. Sorry to go back to it, but the in Final Fantasy VI, that god tower, it also has these big tubes, which I think were popularized by the, the secret facility scenes in Akira. I definitely really want to talk about that 30 seconds. You know, Ray starts to get those veins all over her and then it, everything goes kaboom. I've watched that scene over and over because I think that there's a lot more going on there, kind of like sexual illusions and also Mm -hmm. foreshadowing to some stuff that happens in End of Evangelion. Okay, cool. I see this as a sexual type of contact, Mm -hmm. you know, something that is an unwanted kind of like invasion, which obviously, but they use the word corruption specifically. And if you consider Ray. She's kind of like seen as this like pure and innocent and submissive, you know, character. And I think that the way that it, you know, it's portrayed, there's a couple of things that she blushes, mm-hmm. you know, she, she's blushing and her back like arches up in that particular kind of way mm. when all of kind of like the mass, Akira like body part mass starts to like expand. It's it's in the Ava stomach. Mm-hmm. You know, the core is like the belly. And that's why when you said um, the, the particular angel, like what the name means is like angel mm-hmm. of the womb. I was like, oh my yeah. God, that's so on the nose. It's like impregnating Ray. Yeah, in this monstrous, uh... so unit OO, I think we know this at this point. I'll double check. Maybe I'll have to delete this or coordinate off. But we know that Unit OO, because it's the prototype, it's their attempt to copy Adam. So to the angel, a contact with Unit OO is kind of a perverse or pseudo reunion with Adam. And so it creates this perverse or pseudo impregnation. Ugh. Yeah. Hmm. So, so then we have this scene of this floating ray talking to this ray standing in the water and kind of one of them is talking in this normal voice and the other one has a, I guess the one down in the water has this echoey voice. What what do we think is going on there? I love it. I don't know. I think it's one of two things. It's either Ray talking to her, Ava, or it's Ray talking to the angel. It's probably Ray talking to the angel. Like I couldn't even figure out which one I thought was the Ray in the pilot seat until they showed the corruption lines on the floating Ray. And I was like, okay, I think that's the one who's in the pilot seat. Mm -hmm. And so the other one, I guess is the angel, the one that's in the LCL fluid. I don't know what that means symbolically. Like, oh, I don't know, I'm lost there. There's a thing that Ray says, she says, is it, is this the me inside the Ava? Oh, so maybe even she doesn't know. Oh, I think that she does. She says, is this the me inside the Ava? And she says, no, it's someone else. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. So I think Ray knows that there's a Ray inside the Ava, a self that is also the other that is partially her. Like she, she, she doesn't know how. I think she is aware of this fact. Mm-hmm. And when she's in the Ava that like it affects her. And there's a bit, you know, in episode 14, where she has that kind of like sort of like psychedelic freak out episode. Yeah. She like reads that poem. She talks about basically her consciousness and mm-hmm. says that, you know, 
I am a vessel for my thoughts. Mm. That happens while she's sinking. Mm -hmm. I think that she recognizes that she has these experiences. Like if we want to get into like psychology and philosophy and stuff like that, that you could liken it to sort of, you know, the the subject and the object, kind of like Mm -hmm. her observing herself kind of thing. But um, Mm -hmm. I think that she knows that it's an, an angel. And I think that she knows that it's like not part of her. And I love the back and forth that they have, that I'll share my heart with you. Mm. Funny, because the angels, each time that they contact uh, a pilot, they take the form of that pilot. Uh Uh, Almost like because they don't have a human form, they just mirror whatever they're seeing. But when it happens to Shinji, isn't it through Rei? Uh, Shinji has a contact with... Or is that him having contact with his Ava versus with the angel? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because the angel he has contact with, there's like a younger shadow version of himself in the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he frequently, in, in two different times, it, when he's syncing with OO, and several times when he's synced with uh, O1, he has that uh, visitation with a ray-looking soul or being. Mm. So they, they do launch Asuka uh, to try to rescue Ray, but like we talked about before, her performance anxiety is like, 100%. She, somebody says that her sync ratios are in the single digits and she can't even get it to move, much less activate an AT field or operate a weapon. So they just send her back down and she's just distraught. I just love Asuka. I just wrote, I'm so sorry, Asuka. <laughs> uh, Gendo authorizes Unit 01 to launch, which previously Gendo had said that Unit 01 was on lockdown. And and it's been on lockdown since that thing where it started crawling around and ate the angel. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Asuka has this heartbreaking line. They didn't send out 01 when I was in trouble. Yeah. Which, like, yes, you're right, Asuka. The power structure doesn't care about you, your individuality, or the way you feel. You are not useful right now, and so you're not valuable to them. And that is the thesis statement for power structures and hierarchy and capitalism. And I'm just sorry, Asuka. I love you. <laughs> I mean, even Gendo says, like, when it's questioned, like, whether they should send out Unido 2, you know, he says, oh, she can be used as a decoy. <laughs> and she can't. Because it doesn't even attract the angel. Mm. Do we want to talk about more about what the angel says to Ray? Oh, sure. I, I didn't catch all of it, or I don't remember all of it, but go ahead. Whenever the the angels and the humans interact, to me, are some of the most memorable scenes. And um, the the angel says to Ray, you know, what is this pain? And Ray says, this isn't pain. What are you talking about? This is called loneliness. And the angel's like, oh, loneliness. Interesting. And then Ray is crying. It's so interesting to me because they're both right. The feeling that the angel is experiencing is loneliness, but the feeling that Ray is experiencing is pain. Mm. And she doesn't even recognize it. She's so used to like, this is just, this is just her state. So she says, that's not pain. Mm. And it's, it's so sad to me. Then when she explodes, like I, I cry every time that I see that scene because it's just so sad, like how much she's just been used and manipulated and how much has been taken from her and how much Gendo has abused her. I, I would love to talk about that more in a, in a little while, but I feel like there's some spoilers around that. So I'm going to hold off, but I definitely yeah. feel like it's, 
it's very interesting that the angel forces her to recognize that the loneliness she feels constantly is a form of pain. Hmm. Yeah, like she's try she tries to explain to the angels like, no, 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 this is a different thing. And the angel's like, oh, it sounds like it's just a different version of the same thing. That just sounds like slavery with extra steps. Ooh la la, someone's gonna get laid in college. Okay, so Gendo authorizes unit 01 to go up. And as soon as it, as soon as Shinji activates its AT field, the the other end of the angel makes a beeline for him. Like he dodges it and then gets his hands over it and it starts corrupting his hands. And then it morphs into a materialization of Ray. Like it looks like her. And I read up on this and it seems to make sense to me that this is a manifestation of Ray's feelings for Shinji. Mm. I guess it could be the angel using the image of Ray against Shinji to confuse him, but it also could be like, you know, when they merge, like, yes, the angel is getting into Ray, but does that mean that Ray is also getting into the angel? Yeah, and and then there is this kind of weird animation where when Shinji starts getting corrupted, he gets at first those kind of veins or roots, but then we see like mm-hmm. little images of Ray. So it's maybe kind of the same way, you know, the angel was getting into Ray. Now the like kind of Ray angel hybrid is like merging with Shinji, right? And Force and Ray has this this line that's like, you know, is is this what I want to be one with Ikari? And it, it's kind of interesting. They use the like the last name Ikari, right? So is she talking about Shinji or Gendo or? You know, they're related to one another. <laughs> oh, that's true. Because in Ray's mind, we've we've come up with that several times. Like she sees the link between them that a lot of people don't because she has had similar experiences of care and closeness with each of them in a way that like the people who have been close to Shinji, they're not close with Gendo. And the people who are close to Gendo, they're not close mm. to Shinji. Ray's kind of unique in that facet. She also refers to Shinji a lot as Ikari. You know, she's the one of the pilots who always refers to everybody by the others mm. um, with their last names. It's it's like they're at a bigger distance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this formality. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe she is just kind of talking about Shinji and kind of whether she has this desire to merge with Shinji. Um, and, and that kind of gets into that. The sexual touch is kind of like a theme in this episode. Yeah. So then we see, I don't know if this is the second or how many times now Ray has done this kind of self-sacrificing thing. You know, she had the uh, the grenade that one time or the mine that one time. Oh, and the shield before that. But, you know, they, they tell her to exit her Ava. So it's being taken over, but she realizes that the AT field will stop without her powering it. So instead, I guess now that the angel's inside of her, she reverses it so it can't escape and then uh, self-destructs. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, she pulls some handle. I think the thing on it said like D drive, maybe like destruction drive or whatever. But it's funny that in addition to every Ava having explosives placed in their joints so that the command crew can sever those things at any time. They also apparently all have a self-destruct command inside of them. So, I mean, useful, kind of horrifying, but definitely useful. I also think it's interesting because to me this implies, I mean, I think it's implied elsewhere, but that like Ray has a much greater knowledge of how the Avas work than the other pilots. Oh yeah. Um, Even Asuka, you know, she acts like she's this hotshot, but 
Ray knows things about the Avas. Mm-hmm. She knows shit, basically. And I don't think that the other pilots would have known to do that. Mm-hmm. Also, I was just kind of thinking, like, it's kind of like a lot of people, especially maybe Asuka, perceive Ray to be this strict rule follower, kind of like robot type. But actually, in some of the like most crucial junctions, she's like just making her own decisions. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, in this way where it's like still not about her as an individual, but almost sacrificing herself as an individual for kind of like the sake of the greater good. Hmm. Maybe Ray's the Jesus figure. I mean, she does appear with that halo. She's reborn a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love it. It certainly didn't take them three days. Yeah. Yeah. So when she absorbs the angel fully, uh, inverts the AT field, then the Ava and the angel morph into, just for a split second, like this energy gestalt image of Ray, like you said, with a halo. And that's one, foreshadowing, uh, and two, Mm -hmm. like shows what could happen with the merging of an angel and an Ava, um, or maybe the merging of Adam with an angel. And and just uh, to break down that moment a little bit more, even before that, right, she sees Gendo and then there's this interesting shot of kind of the Ava like reaching up almost like, you know, she's seeing God or an angel or something like a, you know, like a human having some sort of revelatory or hallucinatory experience right before they die. We see kind of like the Ava doing that. And then it turns into like this white light ray angel. I don't know. It kind of goes along with the Gendo as god figure holy father that patriarch she sees him kind of up in the sky as she's dying yeah and the uh the posture for the angel or the ava is actually reaching up Mm -hmm. almost like uh sistine chapel Mm -hmm. uh the meeting of adam and god where he's reaching towards the heavenly and um i didn't notice this before but i just went back the the image that she sees of Gendo is without his glasses, hmm. which we only see once when he rescues Ray out of the burning hot plug. And Ray is the only person to see that image of yes. him without the glasses. Hmm. Yeah, which is also interesting because then the glasses come up later in this episode. <laughs> uh, so there's this great shot. There's so much great animation in this episode of like Misato with like her arms shaking and her hands shaking and that. Uh, really gets to me. <laughs> yeah. It's very affecting um, as, you know, they have to do all the kind of logistics, but she's processing um, kind of what Ray did and Ray dying. Yeah. And I think that's the third time we've got a moment like that with Misato. There's uh, when Shinji gets swallowed by the shadow and she calls Ray and Asuka back and they're like, but Shinji's still in there. And she's like, that's not the point you get back to the base now. And uh, I think there's a third one, but, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful repeated shot. Uh, so they do like, a cl- they have a cleanup crew, which it seems like Masato orders, but then Ritsuko is in charge of. She's the one on the ground with like the hazmat suits and they find the plug and they don't reveal to you what's inside of the plug, but Ritsuko has some line about, this is now top priority. Yeah. And like, nobody talks about this now. Mm. Here's another difference between this version and the original dub. Ooh. But uh, she's in, in this, you know, she says, this is now a top secret operation. Retrieve the plug. 
in the original dub, she said, salvage the plug. Oh, much more specifically. Which is so much more specific as to like, what is Ray 3? How is it possible that we have another Ray by the end of the episode? Yeah. I don't know if they left that out because it's not as accurate or because they felt it was too accurate. Yeah. So we get back to, oh, there's a, a short scene where a, another SEAL meeting discusses the prophecy of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they say that this was the 16th angel. All angels have been defeated. And that is, they say there's only one left. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool because they do keep everything really tight lipped. They tell you, they're like, there's only going to be one more angel. So like, look out for that. Be excited for that. But understand that the series will end. Everything will stop eventually. And I wondered why 17? There's got to be some significance to that. Why they did 17? Because there's more angels uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls than that. And I know we're not talking about the real world Dead Sea Scrolls. We're talking about this diegetic equivalent that is found within one of the eggs. But why 17? I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, Sorry, about that. Oh, nothing. I was just going to say. So then we're kind of back in the apartment. Oh, no, I guess first there's this weird shot of Ritsuko looking at her mom standing with Gendo and, and kind of like a young version of her. Then we're back in the apartment with Shinji. You know, he's lying on the bed. We've had this shot of him lying on the bed listening to music when he's kind of like depressed in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this time the music is playing, but it's like he can't even put the earbuds in. We've reached a new level of depression for Shinji. Yeah, yeah kind of maybe in the same way that Misato handshaking animation. It's kind of like this more extreme version of, of this thing that we've seen these characters go through before. Mm-hmm. Misato comes in, tries to comfort him, but when she touches his hand, he kind of recoils. You know, I wonder if this is kind of going back to that kind of sexual touch thing, that this is kind of like his like confusion and embarrassment about the way he sees Misato kind of as a mother figure, but then maybe also there's like some sexual tension there or like you know sexual feelings he's repressing towards her Mm -hmm. and that that's to avoid that he just can't you know have any kind of contact with her i'm glad you said that because i was considering it only from masato's perspective and so i i was a little confused but you're right like shinji he does want to be comforted maybe even physically but that confusion manifests as not understanding that touch like I can't do this right now, or I'm not feeling up to this right now, or that's too intimate and scary for me, uh, and that he might see it as a sexual thing. I, I kind of remember a phase of being a teenage boy where, like, kind of anything that felt touchy-feely, just like, you know, like, you just stopped hugging people <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> that, like, I don't know, there's some sort of switch there that can, like, flip sometimes, where then there's things that in some ways feel comforting, I don't know. You just like stop doing them. They feel like awkward and confusing and kind of repelling. Mm-hmm. So, and then even, uh, even Pen Pen is depressed. Uh, Masato's like, Pen Pen, come here. And he's like, I, I don't have the energy. I'm not getting up. <laughs> I'm watching TV. Okay. If you want to lay here with me, that's cool, but don't ask me to do anything. I feel like that's just in keeping with where we're at now, both in the episode, the fact that, you know, the big emotional beat, in the scene with that in the Ava inside of the entry plug was talking about loneliness. And now we've reached a point where like 
in this episode, everybody is very isolated. Misato, Shinji, Pen Pen, Asuka, Ritsuko, like they're all basically alone in the world. Mm -hmm. And going forward, it's like, now this is where we are in the show. Things have progressed from something that was kind of like a more happy-go-lucky in the beginning and people making connections and there being this kind of hope that like, maybe the hedgehog's dilemma could be solved, you know, like, <laughs> and, and this episode, I feel like it, it kind of is like, yeah, nah, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. the characters have become so isolated from each other that they just can't anymore. And it's weird. Cause kind of like, I mean, I guess there are some setbacks in like the fight against the angels, you know, in that, like, I guess at this point in the episode, we think that Ray is dead and like Asuka can't pilot it anymore. But like in some ways, like that stuff is fine, right? They like Mm -hmm. won the battle or whatever, but it's like that's so far in the background compared to all of the the stuff happening to the the characters now. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Because it is, you know, ostensibly it's a giant robot fighting show. And they have completely, ah, I couldn't have put it better myself. They've completely relegated the action to the background. And it is about the characters and their development and how they feel. Because ultimately, that's what we should care about. Because uh, without that, who cares about the action? Yeah, it looks cool. Does it mean anything? Is it going to stay with you? Or are you just going to be like, oh, I like robots. I like turtles. So then we get this really short scene of Gendo and Kozo visiting Ray's brain chamber. And Kozo says... Ray was the product of my despair and the vessel for your hopes. And that solidifies to me, we had this background episode or flashback episode where we get to follow uh, Kozo Fuyutsuki, is that his name? Is that his last name? Fuyutsuki. Um, Fuyutsuki. Through his uh, involvement in the early Ava program, we got to meet, you know, uh, Dr. Akagi Sr. And, but it solidified to me that he was in love with Yui Akari. Oh, yeah. And there was that student-teacher tension between the two of them. And Ray. Oh, and it solidifies that Kozo is the person who developed the mm. technology or the techniques to create Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, or it also explains why Ray always has these pills in her apartment. Uh, and you mentioned earlier about like Ray's experience, I think, Ben. And I hadn't thought about her internal experience very much before. And we don't know that she has a quote unquote standard internal experience or within a margin of error for a human being. So like she probably is taking a bunch of medication to uh, save off side effects of the, of her creation process and to stave off like maybe depressive thoughts, maybe even uh, medication to keep her more subservient to Gendo's will. Hmm. Yeah. I I hadn't put that together about uh, Kozo. Like, I guess, Mm. you know, he was this, this scientist and it kind of makes sense. And he knows he's the one who seems to know all of these secrets about Ray. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense that that would be, kind of his involvement with this. And they only offhandedly mention that his discipline is metabiology. Yeah, it's like quantum biology, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that it's, you know, in that episode, which I think it's episode 21, they go over the fact that, like, that, that's what he and Yui were, like, researching. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we get a phone call 
and it turns out that Ray is miraculously alive, or so it may seem. And we get this sh- this scene of Ray uh, Shinji rushes to the hospital to see her, and there's this cool visual separation of the two of them. Ray's sitting on this bench, Shinji's uh, leaning up against the wall, and they're in different sections. Uh, Shinji, the numbers or the uh, designation above him is D five, and Ray is under D six showing that Shinji still thinks he's dealing with the last iteration. Ah. I mean, just a subtle, like, we know that, but just a subtle uh, visual manifestation of that concept. Yeah, and, and I guess we learn here that maybe Ray is aware of the other rays and stuff like that. You know, it, it's, it's this interesting thing where this show, like, I wonder if still they'll, like, explicitly spell out the fact that she's, like, I guess maybe that's, like, the scene that we have in a second when we get mm-hmm. to, like, the tanks. Yeah. But they really lead us, like, right up to the edge. And she's just, like, I'm number three. And, like, it's not that I don't remember this. It's, like, that I've never experienced it before, basically. Yeah. It's like a good detective novel. Like, a page before they do the actual reveal, you have the ability to put it together yourself, which gives you that aha moment. Yeah, and so so after this conversation, Ritsuko calls Shinji. Mm-hmm. So what's what's that about? Like, she's just like, I have to tell you what's going on? I think she's just like, fuck it. She's pissed. Well, she gets uh, questioned by the SEAL Council in place of Rei. Oh, yeah. Under Gendo's orders. They request Rei, but he sends Ritsuko instead. And they question her naked? Yeah, why is she naked? Mm. Is that just like a fan service thing? Is there any, like, in-world explanation? Oh, I think it's pretty clear. I, um, this is one of those things where also, like, translations are interesting. Mm. I don't know if it's in this version or the version Mm. that I... I watched before, but basically they say, we don't wish to subject you to any further degradation. Oh. Mm. You know, one of the possible synonyms for it in Japanese is also like being degraded or corrupted. And so I think that it's at the very least heavily implied that she was assaulted before she was brought before the council. Mm. Well, that's disgusting and disturbing. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, it's just like in keeping with the kind of like the angel physically violating Ray. <sighs> Sorry, I just hate fucking Seal. Yeah, I mean, awful. it makes sense. It's, it's, it's this personification of, like, unseen power structures and bourgeoisie society, which, uh, sexual degradation, a uh, key component of their ritualistic practices. <laughs> there was this um, manga I read when I was, like, way too young to be reading it called, uh, I think it was Barefoot Jin. It was about World War Two and, like, you know, it was, like, this family that lived near, like, Hiroshima. And I think, actually, like, their family was anti-war and there was this thing where then like i think because the parents were anti-war then like the kids were humiliated at school and they were just like forced to like sit naked in class or something like that so it could be and that might just be like a excuse for the that manga to <laughs> to be porny and weird but <laughs> it could be that there is some sort of um historical punishment humiliation that like involves nudity or something oh yeah and uh ritsuko has this thought she says like i'm ray's replacement which is an inversion of the the actual order that we've established like ritsuko is actually her mother's replacement and then ray is ritsuko's replacement at least as it as it pertains to gendo and his 
sexual relationships, right? She may be raised like substitute for this specific case. And yeah, and so she found it kind of like ironic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Misato finally opens uh, Kaji's gift, uh, his butt uh, pill. God. Yeah, she he he stores it in his butt. That's how <laughs> he gets it to her, and it is all the information that he has gathered on the Ava series and the Seal Council and Gendo and all the secret stuff he's been doing, he imparts to her so that she can, I guess, try to carry out or complete his work, uh, maybe stop all this grand conspiracies from ending the world or doing it in the wrong way, uh, which is a lot to put on Misato. I feel like it's not fair of Kaji to ask more of the living, (laughs) but, you know, there's really no one else to do it. Yeah, and, and I guess Risco calls Shinji in to tell him what's going on, but Misato then also shows up and mm-hmm. wants to see it for herself. And it's kind of another one of these like symmetry scenes where um, you know there's kind of a similar thing with with her and Kaji. Yeah, history kind of repeating itself with Misato with uh, uh, with her gun to someone's back. Yeah. But then there's that twist, right? It's like, haha, you have me, you have your gun to my back, but haha, Shinji's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> if only Shinji had a gun, it would have been like farcical. But, but yeah, I guess now kind of her, her secret's out too. Now Shinji knows. They take this long elevator ride down into what I assume is the honeycomb hideout. Come to the honeycomb hideout. First, we check out Ray's conditioning room that looks just like her apartment. So I guess she'll be used to all of the fixtures and the the medication and all that before they send her out into the world. So this is kind of like a prep room to make sure the next Ray is ready. Very strange, it has the same medications. Uh, It has the same beaker full of water that I think has water in it for some reason. Like they're inexplicably filled with water. I don't know if that's supposed to be like a symbol of Ray's purity or a symbol of like maybe stagnation because the water isn't flowing. I don't know. I feel like we saw her like floating in the thing before, right? In like the, the, the dummy plug thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, she floats in water a lot. And in that poem that she says in episode 14, she talks about water flowing and she says that she likes the color blue, I think mm-hmm. associates herself with like water and that that it, it like it's comforting to her so and uh heavily with uh uh flowing water with purity and cleansing in uh at least japanese uh, uh mysticism and then we get to see so we get three rooms right we get room 666 where she where rays are conditioned then we get the ava graveyard which is wild awesome uh it just made me think about Ava's as these living things, of course, they stand on the corpses of their ancestors, just like humanity, just like all living things. Yeah, and and it's kind of like these pits, but they're kind of these circles with lines connecting. And it's something, you know, to me, I wondered if that was some sort of like esoteric symbol or something like that, that all of these Ava part reservoirs are making. It looks a little bit like those Kabbalah diagrams Mm -hmm. um, that we see in Gendo's office. Mm-hmm. I don't know what exactly. Are there seven pits? There's more than that. Okay, so yeah, yeah, it is much more like, uh... oh yeah, it is just like the Kabbalah. It might not be the same thing, but it has the same formation. Like it's things off to the side and then at the very top, there's one designating Keter the crown. And kind of, I guess, cross imagery or upside down cross imagery too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get to 
the final chamber that we get to see and the final moments in this episode where we see Ray's brain chamber, but then we see that there's a part of it that's not been lit before. Everyone's confused, or uh, Misato and Shinji are kind of confused about the the chamber and the the brain thing. And uh, Misato says, so this is like what the dummy plugs are made from? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, Ritsuko presses a button on her awesome iPad and reveals rays upon rays. <laughs> like, how many rays do you want? Peel yeah. them off like stamps. Yeah, it's like a aquarium. A rayquarium. <laughs> yeah. But really really quick with, with the, uh, the dummy plug thing. Uh, so, so this isn't just where they're like getting the new clones of Ray, but then they're also taking rays and like using them as like the dummy plugs that are like the, mm-hmm. the backups. Yeah, for yeah all and if Ray plugs. gets hurt, I guess, like they talk about those rays floating as potential spare parts. So like if a ray lost an arm, they could just grab another one off of an uninitiated ray. And the most horrifying thing is that some of them like open their eyes and smile, right? Yeah. So they're like semi-conscious inside of this LCL fluid. At least once I think at this point in the story, you know, we've seen that Ray says like, I can be replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that she says it at some point. I think you're right. I remember, yeah, I remember that. I'm trying to remember... She might say it when she takes the N2 mine and like runs at the angel to sacrifice herself. She says mm. like, you know, I can be replaced or something like that. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think it's multiple times that she says it at this point and now we know how. <laughs> yeah. And to go with the smiling and then like, you know, there's this laughing at the end that even continues kind of once the bodies are falling apart. So part of me wonders if this might be a little bit that we're seeing through Ritsuko's eyes and it might not be literally that they're smiling and creepily laughing, but that this is kind of like her having her breakdown before she kills them all, basically. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You're so awesome. Yeah. And Ritsuko mentioned something called guff. Yeah. I can't find exactly where she mentions it, but I looked that up and it's, so it's this uh, concept in Jewish tradition. Uh, the chamber of guff is supposed to be where souls fall from the tree of life and are collected. So it's the vessel for human souls, right? And when a baby is going to be born, Gabriel, the archangel, chooses a soul and then imparts it to uh, Layla, the angel of night, similar to the shadow angel that we encountered before and there's a prophecy that when the chamber is empty when the last soul falls out of the chamber that will be the beginning of the end of the world which is what she says right she says like the 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 chamber of guff is empty doesn't she yeah shit is about to go down yeah (laughs) i I have one last thing to say about that scene which is that um ritsuko says to you know she requests that misato kill her you know, she says, kill me, please. When she says that, she says, like, I don't care what happens to my body. Mm-hmm. Like, and then she begins to weep uncontrollably, which is something that she did not do in front of the council. You know, they found that she was completely unbreakable. And mm-hmm. I, I do think that that's further evidence that, like, she wasn't just mm-hmm. paraded in front of them naked. Like, they did things to her. And I think that she is fucking traumatized. Yeah. And she's, like, and also now she's betrayed by... 
Gendo, and so she would like to die, you know? Yeah, and in that request, or not in that request, but in that statement, like, I don't care what happens to my body, she's not identifies with, but she's paralleled with the object of her torment, Ray, right? Like, because Ray feels the same way for a very different reason, generally. Although I guess they have one reason in common, and that's Gendo. Wow. Okay, cool. Well, uh, if anybody, if we don't have any other final thoughts, uh, this was fantastic. I thought this flowed really well and I'm really looking forward to editing it. Um, so thank you, Damien, for coming on. I know it was kind of, we had planned two guests and it was kind of short notice that you came on by yourself and I really appreciate the effort and your insights. Do you want to plug anything, the the coffee shop you work for, or any groups you're associated with? Oh gosh, no. (laughs) I know one thing you've done in previous, in like previous episodes, y'all have talked about like, what other anime do you recommend people? Oh Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love that question because I do have Oh please, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what other formative animes or what would you recommend to viewers who enjoyed it? I definitely, and one of those people, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of most anime that's coming out now. I, I'm, maybe it's because I am now becoming an old. I just turned 35. Um, I've been watching anime since I was a, a, a wee child. And, um. A wee weeb. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I really love Revolutionary Girl Utena. That series is one of my favorites, and also I, I typically am only able to sustain the interest in something that's 13 to 26 episodes, and I believe Utina is 39, which is a little farther than I usually go, so that that really says something. Uh, there's another series I really like that I think you can watch on Hulu called uh, Planetes. Whoa! I think is how you say it. Oh, uh, yeah. Space Janitors. Yes, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, so there's like this space junk accident that like destroys some passenger spaceship. And so then they start paying these uh, kind of like freelancers but to like go clean up like random floating space garbage from the orbit. I'm a big fan of the custodial arts, so I'm going to have to shut that out. <laughs> Can you spell that for me? P-L-A-N-E... T-E-S? I think so, yeah. That one is really good. My last one. Okay. It's only on High Dive, which is kind of a pain in the butt. Legend of the Galactic Heroes is the longest series I've ever, like, made through most of. And it is, like, it's a Star War. (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, the Republic versus the Empire. But, like, the characters are so interesting and have so much depth to them. Um, it's a pretty early anime, older than all of the ones I've mentioned, um, but all of the characters have very um, individualized looking features, which is pretty unusual for that time period in, in animation, in anime. And there's so many characters that literally like, they'll, uh, they'll pop up the name of a character on the screen if you haven't seen them in like five episodes. <laughs> I was just Googling it and it looks like it's based on a set of science fiction novels. You know, we, you get a lot of manga adaptations and stuff, but cool to have like a novel adaptation. Yeah, that's funny. I just watched um, Paprika last night for the first time. And uh, so good. that uh, uh, in the trivia, it said that it, that one's also based on a novel originally. Hmm. It's bizarre. Yeah, I don't hear that very much. 
I, I found out that's true of uh, Perfect Blue too, which <gasps> I didn't realize. Oh, maybe Another that's Satoshi Khan. Yeah. Maybe he tries to get his uh, inspirations from non-visual sources so that he can come up with more imaginative uh, ways to do it. Um, or I mean, did because he's gone now. Great artist. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, so how can people find us, Ben? Can you email at us or we're on Twitter at penpenpalspod. Um, and I guess the email would be at gmail.com. And you can uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this show. Awesome. Pen. Pen. Pals. Pod. <laughs> okay. Right. This has been Thanks. wonderful. Thank, yeah, you. Thank you all so much for having me. So does anybody else want to go into some spoilers? Because I, I have some notes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a spoiler <laughs> session. Start us off. This is something that, you know, I wanted to talk about a little bit earlier. This goes along with right from the beginning of the part where Ray is having that discussion with the angel and is talking about loneliness. And then she also sees this image of Gendo without his glasses you know, before she blows up. And it's it's the scene where he is shown kind of caring for her. And I think that at this point in the show, whenever we were seeing Gendo and Ray, you know, and, and that relationship, we're seeing it either from Ray's perspective of how she feels about Gendo, or we're seeing it from Shinji's perspective of how he's watching them and being jealous that someone is interacting with his father in a positive way that's not him. But we don't really see Gendo's motivations. We don't really see Gendo's motivations for most of the show. But knowing what we know, if we've seen End of Evangelion, you know, there's been this buildup with Ray to this point of, Ben alluded to this earlier, the fact that, you know, she doesn't always do what she's told. This is the second time that she's disobeyed orders, mm-hmm. like direct orders. Like when she ran with the S2 mine at the at the angel in, in a previous episode to rescue Asuka, they were like, Ray, no! And now, um, you know, they, they were like, don't do that when she was going to self-destruct and she did not listen to them. So in the previous episode, she says to Asuka, I'm not a doll. Despite the fact that she says, if, if I was ordered to die, I would do it. She, she still, you know, maintains, I am not a doll. She is at this point now, I think, where she is starting to maintain her own individual will. And her, Gendo's hold on her is changing, which we see in the end. This is just a foreshadowing for the fact that at the end, when Gendo tries to do instrumentality how he wants it to go, and kind of quote unquote merge with her, which he does by sticking his hand literally through her breast. She rejects him and she says, I'm not your doll. And she refuses to do what he says. You know, she she's now like, I have my own autonomy. Even though she sees Gendo as the last thing before she is ready to dies, the first thing that she does when she gets back to her apartment is she's gripping the glasses. And she's, she almost shatters them. Yeah. That's another bit of foreshadowing that like, she's not going to do what Gendo tells her. And then in the end, she breaks the glasses. This editing of this episode is so masterful. I really do think that it shows 
the little bits and the, the breadcrumbs of how Ray is starting to become her own person. Some of this is really showing us that what Gendo is doing to her is extremely sinister. Um, mm. He's grooming her mm-hmm. to accept him, if necessary, physically accept him and to do what he says at all times. And who knows what she's seen at this point? You know, we've talked about how she can be replaced. She feels like she's disposable and expendable. Who knows how many of her body parts have been replaced? What must it be like to be someone who's undergone something like that? And so I think it's really interesting to bring yourself out of the perspective of thinking about Gendo through Ray and realize that Gendo is only nice to Ray so that he can fucking manipulate her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Boom, it's there kinda... I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we did, uh, you know, mention that she sees this shot of Gendo without the glasses. Um, then we have, you know, the glasses in the apartment, which I think, you know, we've seen those since the first time we were in the apartment that was like, you know, after the scene of Gendo saving her, where maybe his glasses fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they crack because uh-huh. of the heat. Hmm. Yes. I, okay, so so that's why they're cracked. I, I was wondering when we see her gripping the glasses to break them, if like this is something she's done before or something like that, and that's why they're cracked. Like every um, night she crushes them yeah. a little more. <laughs> But yeah, I'm probably reading into things that aren't there. When when we saw her replica room, the glasses weren't there in that, were they? No, and that's funny because that would be the... I wonder if they even realize, like if Gendo realizes that she kept the glasses um, because it's the one difference between the two rooms. I mean, the rooms aren't identical, right? There are things written on the wall in her conditioning room and there are things beyond her bed and the nightstand and the refrigerator in the conditioning room but those those differences are kind of incidental but the one key factor the one object that's not in the conditioning room is the glasses maybe so that's like the object that belonged to ray too right and is unique to her yeah 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 i don't know it's there's something weird going on there i think like, how does she interpret seeing the glasses there? Does she think that Gendo was over there with Ray 2 and now she's, like, angry at Gendo or, like, jealous of Ray 2? Or is this something like, you know, the old Ray was into Gendo, but, like, this new Ray, something has changed and she doesn't have those feelings towards him or something like that? Mm-hmm. I like to think of it as a statement on the revolutionary nature of successive generations. Mm. Like, you know, your life kind of repeats itself in your progeny to, to a certain extent, but what you keep for them, what you like bequeath to them changes their experience, their life, it gives them a possible out for some of the cycles of suffering that you received, right? So like Ray 2 is gone, but unintentionally through keeping Gendo's glasses, she's given this focus item for Ray 3 to not have the same experience as Ray 2. Even though they're genetically the same, like she can do more. And like you said, it may culminate in her decision to reject Gendo in, uh, in the movie, like you said, Damien. Yeah, you know, just before Ray 2 dies, she has a revelation. She's like, is this what I want? I, I want to be with Ikari, meaning Shinji, you know, 
oh, mm. I think some of that comes through. And when she does reject Gendo and merges back with Lilith to become a whole again, she even mm. says, Shinji's calling me or Ikari's calling me. Mm. She feels a connection to him. And I think it's really interesting that in the scene that we see with her, with, with Gendo, he's, he acts in this caring way or in this way that she and her very limited experience uh, interprets as him caring for her. But if you rewatch that scene, he's not that emotive towards her. But when Shinji Wait, rests... Just, just to make sure that... Okay, so this is, you're talking about this scene where... Um, Gendo pries the door yes. open to, to rescue Ray. Yeah. yeah. In the scene that's kind of a, a, a sort of mirror of that, when Shinji does the same thing, he's crying. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, don't ever do that again. Don't ever act like you could just die and it wouldn't matter. Don't, don't say goodbye before a mission. It, it's too sad. And she says, like, what am I supposed to do right now? And and he's crying and smiling at her and says, you know, you, you could smile. And they smile together. And mm. part of what changes her is this revelation that, like, Shinji actually cares about her, even if he's limited in his capacities <laughs> and probably sexually obsessed with every woman in his life in a <laughs> weird way. But, like, just, just a normal a way for a virgin, I think. that Like, that happens to a lot of guys, especially in, like, modern culture. But sorry, go ahead. Well, just to step back from the, the sexual undertone stuff and just, like, focus on the religion for a second, that is kind of, like, an interesting thing of, like, Ikari being this, like, Old Testament god who is just doing his kind of godly thing things and humans are incidental. And then Shinji being this, like, Jesus figure that has this more humanitarian like you know your feelings are important and i'm the god of kindness not revenge or whatever right wow okay and so it does sorry i'm gonna try to think how to word this okay so an eternal being right the impact that any any living creature has on the world you can kind of divide it by the amount of time they have because like the importance of an act is kind of based on what it took to get that act done. And so for an eternal being, like a god, like each individual act means almost nothing, right? Or, or as close to nothing as it can. Uh, and so Gendo, as this pl- uh, uh, stand-in for Yahweh, when he saves Rey, it means almost nothing in the end. Because it's just, you know, it's just a thought he had. It's just whatever. It doesn't matter. But when Shinji does it, it means more because he's a finite being, because he's Jesus, because just being in the world, being a temporal and transient being, like that makes your actions mean more, or at least makes them more impactful, at least on a human emotional level. That might have been gobbledygook, but no. thanks for listening. <laughs> and then I, I wanted to say to you, kind of, I, I like that point you made, Damien, about like kind of the parallel between how Shinji and Rei are both seeing Gendo kind of had this idea earlier that maybe Rei was seeing a lot of Gendo. But I think in some ways she's very similar to Shinji where, you know, just Gendo has done one or two nice things to her and she's just like really latched onto them the same way that, you know, Shinji latched onto that praise. I guess for Rei, she sees that, image of him without the glasses which is the image of him 
rescuing her and that's mm-hmm. kind of like the one thing she's holding on to of like oh he does care about me <laughs> he like yeah he sacrificed something of himself as if i wasn't completely expendable or something like that right right and also you know when gendo does rush to ray in the, the the plug he needs her like he literally needs her at that stage or he can't mm-hmm. complete all of his plans. Mm. So the brain chamber, right? That's a backup mechanism, I think. I think this episode solidifies it as that. Like when Ray spends time in the brain chamber, it's to back up her personality so that the next Ray has the most up-to-date information and memories. And because uh, she dies in the field, Ray 3 doesn't have the memory of saving Shinji. Right. But she has all the previous memories. I think you're absolutely right. When he saves her from the plug or thinks he's saving her from the plug, that's before he, that may be before he like makes sure that she goes into that chamber over and over as often as possible to make (laughs) these backups. Because maybe he hadn't backed her up in a while. And so if she dies in that moment, oh my gosh, we got to go years back. It's going to be like an 11-year-old Ray consciousness that we put into the new one. Sorry to interrupt. Well, also, I'm like, I don't know that that system in and of itself was in place at that point. Because that flashback is even before the first episode. And they were talking about by like a certain episode, like, oh, well, the dummy plug system isn't ready yet. So... I don't even know. I think that literally he needed her because he didn't have the dummy plugs yet and that that wasn't underway. Yeah, and and so then maybe some of that stuff about her being like, I'm replaceable. This, like, even though there's been this ability to clone her, she didn't really become like replaceable, replaceable until they had that backup system. So maybe when she starts saying stuff like that, that's kind of like, her coming to terms with kind of like her new position that she is like less important now, I guess, right? That's fine. I, <laughs> I, I, I hadn't caught on to that backup thing at all. That like went straight over my head. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. That I'm makes no, that makes a lot of, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know. I'll accept that into my canon. I like that. <laughs> the only canon is head canon. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome.